Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends around the country who are wondering how in the hell we're going to fit all we have to talk about today in 90 minutes. We're going to figure it out, aren't we? Hello, everybody. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times-Picayune, the Advocate, and bet.nola.com. And... um is there anything going on today? I mean, we could just like chat about the weather, how our families are doing, the waste management open coming up this weekend, LSU basketball, the New Orleans Pelicans, they have some news this morning. Or, you know, just how life is in general. But no, I think we're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints in the Super Bowl. How about that? I mean, you can't really get much busier than we are right now. So that's how we're going to roll with Datitude, episode number 54, for a Tuesday, February the 8th, 2022. And um, it is crazy. All the news that is broke, uh, I mean... Just with the Saints alone, we could fill probably three hours if we really wanted to talk about it. But most of you aren't going to sit and listen to me talk by myself or to anyone else for three hours. So let's just make it as close to 90 minutes as we can. How about that? We have a jam-packed show, just not because of the news of the day, but who we have on the show today. And I am excited about it. Um, we're going to start off with... With Trey Wingo, who is uh, the chief trends officer at Caesars Entertainment. But uh, you probably know him better as the former Sports Center and NFL Live host at ESPN. And uh, happy to have him on this morning. Um, and we're going to follow him up with just a fascinating interview. Now, as I record this, I have not talked to Trey yet. I'm pretty sure I know what we're going to talk about. But. Uh, Adam Chernoff of Covers.com is going to come on the show. He's going to wrap it up. And it is, if you're interested in betting the Super Bowl, and not just betting the line, I mean, anyone can go say, oh, I think the Bengals are going to win. So I'm going to go either take them, take the four and a half points, or I'm going to bet the spread. That's easy. I mean, it might not be easy to win, but it's easy to bet. But uh, we're going to get into how a professional goes about thinking about betting different things in the Super Bowl. And I find it fascinating. Just the thought process alone to me is fascinating. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, Adam's coming on. He'll be on uh, after Trey probably in about 45 to 50 minutes. Um, that'll be coming up. Trey's going to be coming on in about 10 minutes. Um, just incredible. I mean, I don't even, I'm not even sure... Since we last since we last uh, talked to you on Friday, I'm not even sure which one of these things is the lead, and it's incredible to say that. But two huge breaking news stories over the past couple days. So we're going to lead with the positive. 
or what at least most people think is positive. I certainly do. Dennis Allen is named the 11th head coach in the history of the New Orleans Saints. And obviously, if you've listened to the show in the recent past, you knew that um, while I thought he was the favorite, I didn't necessarily think he would be the choice. Not because I didn't think he deserved to be the head coach, but because usually when, so- when stuff like this happens, weird things happen, right? The favorite is quite often not the one chosen. But when you think about it, the Saints are have no reason to not go with the status quo. The Saints have no reason to stray from what they know and go for the unknown. And in the mind of Mickey Loomis, and Jeff Duncan has made that clear to us for weeks now, or for two weeks since we were shocked about the news about Sean Payton. But Mickey Loomis has made it clear, Jeff Duncan has made it clear, that this team believes that it's still on the right path, and why wouldn't you? Dennis Allen is basically the hand-picked successor by Sean Payton. We heard from Jeff Duncan on Friday that... Uh, Sean was going to have a lot of input, and it's clear that he did. But it was the easy choice. Whether it's the right choice, we'll find out in the long run. But Dennis Allen has a lot of things going for him. And if you look at who he is, and we're going to talk about this as we go along, but 49 years old, still pretty pretty darn young when it comes to head coaches in the NFL. Now, obviously, there are younger NFLs, and two of them are coaching in the Super Bowl this weekend. But in the, in the world grand scheme of things, you're talking about a guy who potentially, if he's successful, could be here for as long as Sean Payton was here. And if you're an old guy like me, I mean, we remember the days when coaches lasted three or four years and you were lucky. I mean, you think back to the oldies. I mean, if you're, if you're over 50 like I am, and you've been a Saints fan throughout that time. You remember the days when if a coach lasted for four years, that was a lot. And now, since 1986, since 1986, this is only the fifth coach, head coach hired here in New Orleans. And that's, you know, you go through the list and, you know, he's only the 11th one. So we can go through the whole list pretty quickly. In 55 seasons of this franchise, Fears, Roberts, North, Stram, Nolan, Phillips, Mora for 11 years, Ditka for three, Hazlitt for six, and Peyton for 16. So where is Dennis Allen going to rank in that thing? One thing I found that was interesting is... Is it strange to think of a defensive-minded coach first when you have a team that obviously has been offense first for the past 16 years? And the Saints have had several defensive-minded coaches first um, and been successful. I mean, you'd have to say Jim Hazlitt was successful in the grand scheme of things. He was the first Saints head coach to lead a team to a playoff victory. Jim Mora was the first 
Saints coach. I mean, it was hard to believe the Saints went, what, 22 years without a winning season? And Jim Moore was the first to lead him to that. First to lead him to the playoffs. And Jim Moore has a season in 1987 where it's still to this date. The tied for, I mean, technically it's tied for the fourth best record in not tied. It's all, all alone at twelve and three. It's technically the fourth best record in team history because they had three thirteen and three seasons, but he went twelve and three. But one thing I found when I was doing some research, and I I have always liked numbers, obviously. You now being the sports betting writer, but when you wonder about offensive first teams and where they fit, if you go back in the history of this franchise, there have been seventeen winning seasons. 17 out of 55 have been winning seasons. We know that the Saints have been in the top 10 and top 5 for most of Sean Payton's career here. In fact, they were in the top 10 for all but the last two seasons in yards gained. And in points, they were in the top 10 for all but three of those years. But where do the Saints rank when it comes to defense? Well, we know that in the bad Peyton years, the Saints were really, really bad on defense. In fact, 2015, you can go back, they were historically bad when it came to points allowed. In the Sean Payton era, they've had three seasons where they were either 31st or 32nd in the NFL in points allowed. Think about that for a minute. In fact, they've had three seasons where they also were either 31st or 32nd in yards allowed, and they were different seasons. One of them was different seasons. 2015 was a historically bad Saints team on defense. Hence, they were 7-9. and nine. But if you go back in the 17 winning seasons and you look at how many top 20 defenses and points scored. And in fact, let's cut it down. Let's say top half. So top 15. How many top 15 defensive seasons you think the Saints had in 17 years of a winning of 17 winning seasons? How many how many of those teams do you think were in the top 15 in points allowed? It might be a little bit different than you think. Because the first number that came to my mind was like 10 or 11 because we think of offense. But in the history of this franchise, in 17 winning seasons, 15 of those 17 teams were in the top 15. 16 were in the top 20. But here's an interesting, more interesting stat. Eight of 17 were in the top 10. And seven of those 17 were in the top five. And now we have a defensive-minded coach, and obviously this team has shifted towards de- thinking defensively first. Now that may or may not change depending on who the next Saints quarterback is. Because regardless of where this team is defensively and how good they are, you have to have some kind of balance. And... I've said it 
before and I'll say it again. The Saints can probably make the playoffs with Taysom Hill at quarterback. Maybe. But they cannot win a Super Bowl with Taysom Hill at quarterback. And I don't think they'll try. So Dennis Allen is um, is coming in, and he, you know, he had head coaching experience, and you know what? He's gonna, even though he's been here for quite a while now, off and on throughout Sean Payton's tenure, he was here for twelve of those years. He took some time away to be the Raiders head coach from 2012 and was fired four games into the 2014 season and then came back. He also spent some time in Denver very briefly but came back to the Saints. And he's been a huge key to this team's success over the past five years. And uh, he's a main reason why the Saints have had five winning seasons in a row and went to the playoffs in four straight years and over the past five years have the second best record overall in the NFL only to the Kansas City Chiefs. But he's facing an uphill battle which leads me to my I can't believe this is the the second biggest news event. Just about any other week it would be by far not only be the biggest news story in the sports world in New Orleans but one of the biggest news stories in the country, in the sports world. And it's only eclipsed by Dennis Allen here in New Orleans and the Super Bowl everywhere else. But that's Alvin Kamara. And that's the bad news. Because now Dennis Allen is going to have to go into a season. I would be incredibly, incredibly shocked if Alvin Kamara is playing football in week one of the 2022 season. Shocked. And I've got to say at this point, and I know people don't want to hear this, and we got to wait till all the facts come out, and I can't believe that Alvin Kamara is such a great guy, and I can't believe he would do that, and I want to see the film. I would be surprised now. I, I'm, I'm telling you, surprised if Alvin Kamara plays football at all in 2022. That's how serious the news is out of Las Vegas from this week. Arrested, according to Amy Just of the Times-Picayune, who, by the way, is won a major award among pro football writers, one of the three best beat writers in the NFL among her peers. So... I think you go through the report that she had and you have to, I mean, you don't necessarily take things that are alleged as facts. But no one in this story has any reason to say anything otherwise. And Alvin Kamara's agent isn't talking. But we know that Alvin Kamara was one of four men involved in an alleged battery against a man in a Las Vegas nightclub on Saturday night. Alvin Kamara is accused of punching an unconscious man on the ground. 
Las Vegas police say there's film to back that up. If that is true, I don't see how in the world and it is public uh, a persona as Alvin Kamara has and is. I don't see how he avoids jail time if those things are true. If he punched an unconscious man, I don't see how jail time is avoidable. And I don't see how at the bare minimum, and I mean bare minimum, he's not suspended for a year. I know a lot of you are thinking, okay, well, he'll be gone for four to six games. That's what everything seems to be these days, four to six games. But if you punch an unconscious man on the ground and you're convicted of a felony, I don't see how he's not suspended for at least a year. And honestly, if you read through Amy's report, the minimum jail sentence, I believe, is a year. It's not good, boys and girls. It's not good at all. And I hope, and, and the worst part about reading through this is according to police, the dude didn't throw a punch. The only contact he made with anyone, according to this story, is that he kind of got into it with, you know, maybe he was drunk, maybe he... This isn't in the story, but I'm just saying maybe he was a little unruly and was talking smack to Kamara and his buddies and then puts his hands on uh, either Kamara or one of the other guys, puts his hands on someone's chest and gets jacked. I mean, he uh, well, he gets punched. And then they proceed to beat this guy into oblivion. I mean, we've seen these videos, kinds of videos on TV before, not usually with celebrities. But now, the, and again, the worst part of all this, I mean, it's one thing for someone to put their hand on you and you punch them and you can make a case for defending yourself. But when you punch someone that is or kick someone or harm someone that is unconscious, there is zero, and I mean zero, excuse for that. And if it's true, again, this is alleged. I want to see the video too. But when we come this far and the police say it happened, I cannot fathom that there is a huge amount of truth to this, and we will see the video at some point. And if it's true, and Kamara punched an unconscious man three times on the ground, he is in a world of hurt, which means, and this should be the least of our concerns, really. I mean, this will be a concern for later on, in a couple months because I'm concerned for Alvin Kamara. I'm concerned for the victim, obviously. 
and I'm concerned for a, a lot of other things where we are in this world. But if Alvin Kamara punched a man, an unconscious man, three times while he was on the ground, world of hurt, and a potentially, potentially, a career-ending moment for Alvin Kamara. At the bare minimum, again, out for a season. And that's what Dennis Allen is coming into right now. Dennis Allen is coming into a moment where he's facing, trying to find a new quarterback, most likely in the Department of Trade, and at the same time, you're going to have to figure out how to replace your star running back and who's on the running back at roster right now. World of hurt, boys and girls. World of hurt. You just went off of a season where you didn't have Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas probably coming back because no one's going to take him at that salary cap price. This team is already strapped to the hills. Now do you have to go draft a running back? You might. I mean, this changes, the, this changes everything and the way you think about the draft now. I mean, the good news is you got a lot of the defensive pieces in place of the puzzle. You're going to have to make some maneuvering to get most, you know, there's a few guys that they're going to have to make maneuvering to, to make it work, to get back. But they can make that work. But now you're going to have to concentrate in the draft and in free agency completely on offense. Quarterback, running back, certainly offensive line. And everybody wants, who are we going to get a receiver? You know what? You might not get anybody. You might have to hope you hit the lottery in the draft with a third or fourth round pick. Because now suddenly... To me, offensive line was already more important than wide receiver. Quarterback is obviously at the top of the lift. You're going to have to figure that out in free agency or a trade. But now, to me, running back jumps up there because you might, you might not see number 41 play for a long time, if ever again. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I don't think people can comprehend, Saints fans can comprehend what is going on here? I, I just don't. Oh boy, we'll get into that with Trey Wingo in just a minute. I went a little bit longer here than I than I intended to, but two huge stories here in the world of New Orleans sports. And I'm 23 minutes into this podcast now and haven't even mentioned Joe Burrow playing the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about that coming up with Trey. Um, as well um that's coming up and what do you think about the super bowl Bengals rams i'm guessing most of you are are pulling for the Bengals. how many of you are betting on the game how many of you have uh downloaded at least one app and have made a better two i'm thinking probably at least half the people listen to this podcast by now at least the people that live in louisiana and i want to thank you um Friday's Datitude was um, one of the most listened to podcasts uh, here. The, one of the most listened to Datitudes that we've had here. This is episode 54. It was, uh, I think, in the top 
two or three. Uh, we had almost a thousand people listen, and I really appreciate it. And we are growing. Get the word out to your friends. Again, um, you wherever you search for your podcast, Datitude can be found. We're on all major platforms. Um, we're getting some great guests. I plan to have um, going out and getting some former saints, some media personalities. Uh, who knows who we're going to have on? Maybe we'll have, um, you know, who knows in the offseason. That's coming up. Uh, also on Friday, we're going to have Mike Dettelier of WWL is going to come on. Maybe we'll even have Jeff Duncan. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how that works out for Friday, along with the usual suspects, uh, Conductor Dave, D-Squared, and Uncle Big Nick will give us their picks for the Super Bowl um, and my pick for the Super Bowl as well, as long as, as well as a couple prop bets. That's all coming up on Friday. So Friday is also going to be a jam-packed show. If you want to leave a comment or ask a question and have that come on the show, or if you just want to tell me something. I mean, I, I've had a lot of people reach out and just give me comments, and almost all of them are positive, and I really appreciate it. You can reach me at jderry, D-E-R-R-Y, at theadvocate.com, or find me on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. and reach out. Okay, let's get to Trey. Um, I was a, I've always been a huge fan of Trey Wingo. Um, and ESPN has changed a whole lot in the last few years. Um, there are still some guys that I really enjoy watching and listening to. And again, I mean, it, this is, what, five, six months ago now uh, when we started this thing. And Stan Verrett was our first guest. So the people at ESPN uh, have been great. But uh, we miss Trey Wingo on, on watching him on an everyday basis. And we're just happy to have him on here. So let's talk a little bit about football. A little bit. We've already talked a lot about football. Plenty more to talk about. Here he is. Welcoming into the Datitude podcast on a Tuesday morning, Chief Trends Officer and Brand Ambassador for Caesars Sportsbook, Trey Wingo. Trey, thanks for joining us. And uh, how are you doing this morning? Oh, well, man. How are you guys? Finally got the coaching thing sorted. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just so happened that you uh, we scheduled you and had no idea that we're going to have some big news, but uh, there's two huge pieces of news out in New Orleans. Uh, you know, just just a regular Super Bowl week, you know. Yeah, just a little Alvin Kamara, a little Dennis Allen, all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. So are you out in L.A.? Where are you? Yeah, I'm in L.A. I've been here, got here Thursday, and I'll be here till Saturday morning, and then I'm flying to, to Vegas to do something with the Mannings for Super Bowl Sunday, which will be a lot of fun. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I'm sure the weather out there is a little bit nicer than it is here. It's uh, We're not used to 40-degree temps, so it is what it is. But let's get to the, the big news. And, uh, Trey, two big pieces of news, but I want to start with the positive. And uh, yeah. Dennis Allen being hired as Saints coach, um, it's no surprise that the Saints wanted to stay sort of a status quo type of thing. What do you, what do you take from this? Well, listen, um, Dennis Allen has done a remarkable job. Uh, since he took over for uh, Rob Ryan as the defensive coordinator. He took over in 2015, after 2015, I think it was. Uh, they've never finished worse than 14th this past year. They were fourth uh, in scoring defense, I think in seventh in total defense. Or that might be backwards. Let me get that straight. Um, yeah, fourth in scoring, yeah, seventh right. in total defense. Um, he handed Tom Brady his first ever shutout of his career when they went down there to Tampa and won 9 nothing. Um, Saints own the Bucks and the Tom Brady era. That much we can say for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, 
Um, I, I think it's uh, continuity is going to be important because you know the last thing you need as a franchise in the NFL is to have a a head coach who doesn't have a plan and you don't know who your quarterback is. Saints started this offseason with one, then they got both when uh, Sean Payton decided to step away, and now I think they've got one figured out. People are going to point at that record in Oakland when he went eight and twenty-eight. That was a time when no one was winning in Oakland. It was a disaster. It was the last few years of Al Davis's life. And Al was a trailblazer on a lot of levels and did a lot of wonderful things for the NFL. But he was kind of just really weird in his last few years. So there was a lot to process. You can't just look at that record and say it was Dennis Allen's fault. Um, I think he deserves a chance to be a head coach. And uh, obviously, he has a familiarity with, with the entire thing. But at the end of the day, man, it doesn't matter, right? Wins and losses are the only – I love it whenever we hire a coach. Got our guy, you know, and we're all excited. We're all fired up. And, you know, he, we, we like his leadership. We like his organizational skills. We like his ability to communicate. All those things can be true, and if you don't win, it doesn't matter. So at the end of the day, and Dennis Allen knows this as well as anyone, if he doesn't win, he won't be the head coach for very long. That's, that's the bottom line. And he comes into a situation now, Trey, where, you know – it. If, I hate to say it, but I mean, it's, it's not, it's different in, in the fact that the saints have been winning. So it's been a steady franchise and we're going to get to the Alvin Kamara news in a minute, but now you're facing a situation where your salary cap strapped like the Raiders were when he were there. Um, yep. They're, they're offensively challenged, which is hard to believe. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be. They need help on the offensive line. We don't know the status of Michael Thomas. We hope he's back next year and they need receivers defense. Great. Offense, we don't know where they are. Which is about the exact opposite of how everything was in the Sean Payton-Drew Brees era, if we're honest about it. I mean, it was literally uh, the other way. We know we can score. We just don't know if we're going to be able to stop anybody. So um, they, they, at least the Saints went from the side of the ball where they have a f- familiarity with what they want to do and how they want to attack things. But you're right. It's a huge problem. And, you know, I, I, I was actually texting Sean about this a little bit. It's like, when people look back at the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era, that will be considered the good old days. You know, right. I mean, um, you guys, for the first 39 years of the franchise, the Saints won one playoff game. That's right. One, you know, and, and then Sean and, and Drew changed everything under very trying and difficult circumstances after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, the Saints became a destination. The Saints became a destination football team. Yeah, I want to go play there. Whereas you guys know in New Orleans for the majority of the years out of a few glory years with Bobby Joe Hebert, uh, oh, you know, it was really like, oh, okay, I, I guess we'll go play for the Saints. You know, it's so you guys are in an identity crisis right now. Uh, you, you need to, we need to find out what the identity of the Saints is. And that can be difficult, but the quarterback is everything right now. You have to go and find a quarterback. The one positive I will say, and, and Dennis Allen certainly has a part of this, going back and looking through, The Saints, I mean, it's sad to say, but in 55 seasons, they've only had 17 winning seasons. A lot of them under Sean Payton, uh, quite a few under Jim Mora. But if you go back and look, when the Saints have been successful, out of 17 winning seasons, 15 of those, they've been in the top half of the league in in defense, and seven of them, they've been in the top five. So it goes to show that even though they've had the success they've had with their offense, they've only been truly successful if their defense is good as well. Well, the Dome Patrol, you know, one of the greatest right. linebacking cores of all time, you know, all of those guys, uh, Vaughn Johnson, Ricky Jackson, Sam Mills, and everybody, Pat Swilling. I mean, they were they were amazing. So you're right. Historically, 
the Saints have usually had been winning when they've had a good defense. But in this era of football, if you can't score, you got all kinds of problems. Trey, do you think that, um, you know, obviously this, we don't know whether the Saints are going to address the quarterback situation in free agency, which there isn't a huge free agent market this year, I don't think. Well, see, I actually think they're, they're – well, look at it this way. I think there's going to be a massive shift in veteran quarterbacks. It might not be free agency outright, but, I mean, we're looking at the possibility that Russell Wilson leaves Seattle. We're right. looking at the possibility uh, that Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay. We're looking at the possibility that Deshaun Watson and all the things that go along with that leaves the Houston Texans. So it's not technically free free agency, but there could be massive shifts in really top-tier quarterback play. Uh, this offseason in the NFL. So it's going to be something to really keep an eye on. And I'm sure you know by following these sorts of things that the Saints aren't in the best of salary cap situations. How tough is that going to be? I mean, it's the obvious. Here we are, <laughs> Captain Obvious. But how tough is that going to make it for the Saints to bring in a Russell Wilson type or someone along those lines? Well, it all, it all depends on how long you want to draw this thing out, right? Like <clears throat> when the Chiefs sign Mahomes that – allegedly $500 million deal, which he'll never get because that's how that contract's going to be torn up in two years. And he'll probably get a deal that looks like $850 million. A salary cap is like a jello salad. Okay. You can mold it any way you want. You can move it around. You can convert money from a salary to a signing bonus or a signing bonus to a salary or a workout bonus, however you want to do it. And you can push these things down the road. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, when I when I hear salary cap issues, and they are strapped, I don't want to pretend like it's not a thing. But there's real math and there's salary cap math, and those two things could not be more different. And and I, there's there's always ways to finagle the cap. It's just a matter of how creative you want to be and where you want to put your money. Okay, well, let's. We talked about the positive, which and and I think look, Dennis out. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's a good news, bad news thing, right? Um, yeah. Dennis Allen to me is 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 a positive. He is he has put his roots here in New Orleans. His kids go to school here uh, up here in Mandeville High School. They're 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 class swimmers. Um, he has obviously rooted his family here, and he wanted to be here, and the Saints wanted him here. The bad news is we don't know what the status of his star running back is going to be. And yeah. if you read through the lines, I mean, what a horrendous story this is. And I mean, I don't even know hardly what to say. It's not it, – it, just having Alvin Kamara here and such a bubbly personality, it's hard to fathom the things that have been – he's accused of are true. But when you see these things and you read police reports, and I mean, it, it's, it's scary to think. Yeah, listen, he's in trouble for more than one reason, right? Like, it's one thing if you're in the offseason and you're doing your thing and something happens and you make a mistake. This was a league-sanctioned event. The NFL is not going to look kindly on that. I mean, that's, that's – honestly, and this is going to sound – I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear on this. It was bad if, the, if, the, if everything is proven true, and it, and it sure looks like that you know, a lot of things have been corroborated by video here. But what makes it doubly worse that this is a black eye for the NFL because it happened at their event. It happened as he was, I mean, he was arrested at the Pro Bowl, like yeah. 18 right. minutes after the game. Blitting wants no part of that. You know, the Pro Bowl, for lack of a better term, has its own issues and limitations that they need to overcome. And the last thing they, the NFL wants is to have something like this happen. What is supposed to be a fan-friendly, you know, not really hard-hitting two-hand touch sort of celebration of skill position players, right? That's what the, that's what the Pro Bowl has become. 
So for him to do that in that environment, I think is is going to make it more difficult for him to escape uh, more significant justice from the NFL, let alone uh, whatever criminal things may come along. So that that to me is the bigger issue. And I know that I, I, I'm not trying to diminish the events that allegedly happened, because if they did, they're going to have to answer to those. But there is a PR blemish here that the NFL is going to not look kindly at because it happened at their thing. And that's going to be something that Kamara and the Saints are going to have to deal with. Purely speculation. But, I mean, when you look at these things and if these things prove to be true, like you say, um, you know, if the video corroborates what is alleged, I mean, I I don't see any – I mean, you're talking about, at a minimum, I think, a year suspension. Well, listen, you know, I – I always think that something's going to happen in these situations and then somehow miraculously things, right. you know, get turned, get turned around. So all, all I know is it's not going to be pretty. I, I, I didn't want to begin to sort of go down that road to see what the NFL is going to do and how they're going to handle it. But it really, it depends sometimes on how good his lawyers are. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's a problem for the saints. And if I was the saints, I'd make sure I get the best lawyers possible for Alvin Kamara uh, and maybe start for him to do some rehab already in terms of his, his, uh, his image with the NFL, because he, he is, he is the straw that serves the drink now for you guys. I mean, he's, <clears throat> I always call him the cephalopod because he's so slippery. You can't get a real solid hit on him. Ironically, now he's charged with hitting someone else. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's, um, he's the guy, if, if whoever the quarterback is, they're going to need Alvin Kamara. So, you know, Alvin, Alvin is the, Alvin is the actuator of the offense at this point until we, we have more clarity at the quarterback situation. Trey Wingo here on the Datitude podcast. Uh, Trey, you know, Roger Goodell, just, uh, what, what, what kind of thought process, I mean, Obviously, these are things, these situations are things that are detailed. You have to go through every bit of evidence. Um, You know, how does a commissioner think uh, and go through these sorts of issues? Well, you know, uh, the thing about a commissioner, and and you guys found this out through the whole Bounty Gate scenario, is that he's not an arbiter for the sport. He's not this overriding, you know, fatherly figure that sort of lords over the entire NFL. He works for the owners, okay? The owners hire him, the owners pay him, and the owners fire him eventually at some point. So that's who he is, and he's always going to lean that way. Roger's job, like the the, the NFL has been built on really three great commissioners. Pete Rosell sold the league. He was a salesman. Paul Tagliabue was a lawyer. He made the league legally and financially secure through the contracts and the player, uh, uh, you know, the the collective bargaining agreement between the players and the owners. He made them secure. Roger's job, he's a politician. Roger's job is to make sure the league looks good in all situations and take the slings and arrows for all 31 owners and the collective group that owns the Packers. So that's the lens that Roger is going to approach this through. What's the best way the league can come out of this looking uh, correct in a PR situation? And what's the strongest situation for the owners? I'm not saying he doesn't care about the players. That's a separate issue. He works for the owners. He works for the owners. He doesn't work for the players. And anything like this will be seen through that filter. By the way, just so um, these Saints fans, and I'm sure every city thinks this, can you just reassure Saints fans that Roger Goodell does not hate the Saints? 
Yeah, Joe Buck does not hate your team when he calls his <laughs> exactly. name right? He does not. He does not hate the Chris Saints. Collins it's in his, yeah, it's in his best interest for the Saints to succeed. So, uh, New Orleans is a fun, vibrant city with a great fan base, and uh, obviously one of the best home field advantages in all of football. He does not hate the Saints. <laughs> you know how many times I've heard that throughout the past. So, some refs, some refs might hate the Saints oh, with some of the stuff that doesn't get story. called, but that's don't, a separate issue entirely. Don't get me started on that. I'm still pissed <laughs> off about that. Um, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, you're you're out in LA, and uh, you're going to be in. Like you said, you're going to be in Vegas on Sunday. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Um, the Mannings are always fun. Um, what do you think? This matchup is is intriguing to me in lots of ways. Obviously, you have the Rams, who a lot of people in before the season started thought they were had a good chance to go to the Super Bowl. Then they yeah. kind of went through this lull, lost three games in a row, kind of stunk it up, and like, oh, the Rams stink again. No Dallas is going to the Super Bowl. Well, Dallas wasn't going to the Super Bowl. And then Joe Burrow, one hundred and fifty to one at in October to go yeah. to win the Super Bowl, and now they have a a legitimate chance because this kid from LSU is just lighting the the NFL world on fire. Well, uh, let's correct that to kids from LSU, including Jamar Chase. That's right. Uh, the, the, Who also went to Archbishop really... Rummel High School here, just yeah. outside of New Orleans. So, uh, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> I I I remember. When Joe was drafted in 2020, and, you know, I have a great researcher named Jim Carr who worked with me at ESPN for years and now is working with us at Caesar Sports. He does a great job. He puts together these packets on all the players' information uh, that you might find relevant. And I remember this from two years ago in the Joe Burrow draft, and I want to read this to you. Uh, Burrow played travel basketball when he was nine. During one state tournament in Columbus, Burrow's team trailed by eight points with about 30 seconds to left. His coach says, we kind of thought it was over. But then Burrow took over, scoring nine consecutive points, including seven straight foul shots. I'd never seen anything like it, Vanderbilt said. It was then that I knew he was different from everyone else. I couldn't believe the poise under pressure and competitive drive demonstrated by a nine-year-old. The pressure didn't seem to register with him at all. And it goes on to say, Vanderbilt is a professor of sociology at Ohio University. After the game, I told his parents that Joe had the kind of qualities you'd find in cops and first responders and also serial offenders, Vandervent said. He had the kind of qualities these people have where his pulse probably doesn't change no matter the situation he finds himself in. He could be mowing the lawn or pulling people from a fire, and his pulse would probably stay about the same. I think that sums up who the kid is, right? Like mm-hmm. twice against the Chiefs. Let's go week 17 against the Chiefs. They were down 14 to nothing in Cincinnati, 21 to 7 uh, to Cincinnati, 28 to 17 at the half. They find a way to pull it out 34-31. They were down against the Raiders early, uh, and they found a way to win that one. He was sacked nine times against the Tennessee Titans, the tying an NFL playoff record. And uh, he found a way to sort of weather that storm and make the one throw he needed. And once again, they were down 18 in the first half to Kansas City. By the way, Kansas City gacked that game away. More games are lost than one. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from the Bengals, but you have a home game. You're up 18 points, and you have Patrick Mahomes. If Kick you don't win that game, that, that, that's on you, right? What a meltdown. It felt like the whole second half they were hung over from that horrible no decision doubt. at the goal line. The point being, Joe has this disassociative property that can be used for good or evil. Thank God he's doing it for good. Uh, and that's who he is, right? We've seen that play out. He just sort of hangs around. Nothing seems to bother him. And if he's presented with an opportunity to win, he does. 
Uh, I, I just I couldn't help but remember that nugget when we seen what happened with this kid. I have no idea if he's going to be the greatest quarterback of all time or if he's going to put up numbers like Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or Drew Brees. All I know is the kid has the quality, whatever it is, like Joe yeah. has it. Or he doesn't have it, you know what I mean? Which allows him to do the things he does. I think that's his biggest strength is that nothing ever seems to bother him. It, you look at him and, and he does these post-game interviews and I'm like, this is a kid. And I know I'm old now, yeah. so it's different. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you, you look at him, I'm like, this kid's not supposed to be leading some team to the Super Bowl. He looks like he ought to be like off hanging around in a nightclub or something and doing what 23-year-olds yeah. do. He's, he's an old soul is the best way to describe it. You know, I mean, remember when he won his Heisman in his speech, the first thing he said is where I come from, people are hungry and they need food. And that led to a massive donation to the Southeastern Ohio Food Bank. I mean, you know, he, he, he was thinking about something else at his, at that point, the greatest pinnacle of his career, because LSU hadn't won the championship yet. He hadn't been drafted number one overall. He hadn't led the Bengals to the Super Bowl. So when he won the Heisman Trophy, you know, that was the pinnacle of everything that he'd ever worked for after being passed over at Ohio State and having to leave to go down to LSU. Uh, and the thing that he thought of that would be most appropriate at that time was to try and help some other people, which I thought was very, very cool. And now he has a chance to do what no quarterback has ever done, win the Heisman Trophy, win the national championship, and win the Super Bowl. We've had uh, two quarterbacks uh, win a national championship and win a Super Bowl. We've never had one win all three. So uh, it's going to be something very cool to watch. It is a very cool story indeed. Um, and you look at the Los Angeles Rams and, you know, their quarterback story kind of gets unsung a little bit. And you talk about Matthew Stafford, and I think Saints fans can relate, especially older ones like me who remember such bad days of Saints football. And Matthew Stafford yeah. finally got a chance to go to a good team and uh, – He's made you know, people still doubting him. I say he's going to the Super Bowl, yeah. and and I still hear all these people doubt this guy. Well, you know, it, it's it's living proof that something that I will die on: wins and losses are not a quarterback stat. They're not. You like you put a quarterback on a good team, they're going to win more games. You put a good quarterback on a bad team, they're not going to win a lot of the games. You know, there's a reason that Stafford went zero and three in the postseason as a member of the Lions. The Lions are a terrible organization. Outside of a few brief years with Jim Caldwell, who never should have gotten fired, uh, you know, they have been pathetic for a long, long, long time. I mean, Megatron's career was wasted in Detroit. Barry Sanders' career was wasted in Detroit. Uh, so Matthew Stafford got around good players, and oh, suddenly he can win more. It's incredible. It's weird how that happens, you know, and... I keep thinking of the juxtaposition here, though, between these two teams, because when I look at the Bengals, they're so young, and, and so many of the guys just think they're supposed to win, like Burrow and Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon. They don't know the downside yet. Like, I do, I do believe one of the things that happened in the AFC Championship game is the Chiefs have been to back-to-back -back Super Bowls. That was their fourth straight hosting of the AFC Championship game. They know what it's like to win a Super Bowl, they know what it's like to win an AFC championship game, and they knew what it was like to lose an AFC championship game. And when, when you understand both sides of the equation, sometimes that weighs on you a little more. Right now, the Bengals are this fun, 
sort of, hey, we made the postseason. Why don't we go win it all? They don't know the downside yet. And they may not know the downside until next postseason if things go their way on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, there was a there was a backup quarterback in the 70s for the Cowboys, and it was Clint Longley. He came in on a Thanksgiving Day game against Washington when Roger Staubach got knocked out of the game, and he threw two fourth-quarter touchdown passes to beat their big rivals, Washington. And after the game, defensive tackle Larry Cole called it a victory for the uncluttered mind. The Bengals collectively right now, this group of Bengals, have an uncluttered mind. All they know is success in the postseason. <clears throat> and sometimes that can be a magical, magical thing. Whereas Matthew Stafford knows that it's taken him forever to get to this point. And he understands he may never get there again. The Rams won a Super Bowl four seasons ago. They know what it's like. Most of those players know what it's like to lose a Super Bowl. That's a real thing that you have to sort of factor into the equation. The Bengals are in mad and easy mode right now. You know, sometimes it's a little, it's a little harder to, to get to the mountaintop when you know the downside of it. All the Bengals see is the peak. They don't see what's on the other side of that peak. Troy Wingo here on the Datitude Podcast. How, how important is it that the Rams have already been there, um, although they shouldn't have been there? That's a whole other story. I was about to say, um, you guys might want to think about that for a second. <laughs> that should have been a Saints-Patriots uh, Super Bowl. But anyway, um, how important is it and how, how important do you think it is that they have been there, they know what it's like to be playing in February, and they're go, you know, they obviously have a more experienced lineup than do the Bengals. They, they do, but again, their experience is lost. Like, remember, when they went to Super Bowl 53 – um, they were scoring 32 points a game, right. and they scored three points in the Super Bowl. Now, Jared Goff was not good in that game, 100%. Um, and Cooper Cup had yet to become the Cooper Cup we saw this season, but he was still a good wide receiver. Um, I, I just don't know how much Super Bowl experience matters, especially if it's a bad Super Bowl experience. The only thing that matters, like the Buffalo Bills had plenty of Super Bowl experience. Yeah. They went to four straight and lost them all, you know? And it, it got projected pro, uh, progressively worse. They went from 20 to 19 to 37 to 24 to 52 to 17, and then yeah. 30 to 13 when they had a 13 to 6 lead at halftime. And they melted into the second half, were shut out, and Dallas put up 24 points. So um, I, I, it only matters, I think, if it's good experience. Like, um, so I don't I don't put a lot of stock into that, and I think the expectations are for the Rams. Okay, you've traded away so many first round picks to get Jalen Ramsey, to get Matthew Stafford. Hell, they traded away a first round pick to get Brandon Cooks yeah, uh, a few years ago. Scary. You know, I, I think about that. So I I just I, I think there's a real sense of urgency with the Rams that maybe there isn't with the Bengals, except for one or two longtime veteran Cincinnati players. Um, I just don't know how much that really means anything at this point. All right. We'll talk about some of the things going on at Caesars and um, what kind of excitement, what kind of buzz do you think you're going to see in Vegas uh, this weekend? Well, listen, Caesars has been a great, it's been a great adventure. You know, we do this thing every week called Trace Trends. Yeah. Uh, where we put out everything that's going on in the NFL and those have been really well received. We've got some great Super Bowl content coming up. Uh, you know, the first Super Bowl ever was here in Los Angeles uh, and my father covered that Super Bowl for Life magazine. Uh, and thankfully he's still with us. So we brought him out here this week and sort of went down how massively cool. the Super Bowl. 
yeah, how massively the Super Bowl has changed from Super Bowl one to Super Bowl fifty six, and and we went sort of through a journey through L.A. and and how different it was. I mean, like at the Coliseum in Super Bowl one, which wasn't even called the Super Bowl, it was the AFL NFL World right. Championship game. Uh, they had thirty thousand unsold tickets. It, the, right. the stadium was the third empty. It was televised by two networks because the NFL was begging a network to to make this a thing, and they said, "Fine, we'll do it." Um, they had to bribe not bribe, they had to sell the idea of covering the game. Uh, so we, we've sort of gone through how that has changed. And now this is, it, it seems like the Super Bowl is the only thing 100 million Americans can agree on to watch the Super that's Bowl. Right. Like, that's the only thing that 100 million Americans will agree on. Yes, I will watch the Super Bowl. Uh, to see it become the pinnacle event, quite frankly, of the year, not just in sports. I mean, let's be honest. It's the highest rated television show every year. It's the highest rated event every year. So that, that's a really fun piece. We also did something with the, the Super Bowl historically that will be coming out on my social feeds and on the Caesars social feeds as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're just, listen, this thing's going to grow and grow and grow. I feel like in the, in the sports gaming industry here, we're in the top of the first inning with this little brand new landscape. And I'm really excited to be part of Caesars and, and sort of launching this thing going forward. What's it been like for you, you know, in the early going without, I mean, obviously, you know, sort of like us, when they asked me to be the sports betting writer, I'm like, I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, I know people like betting and, you know, and, and I've always been into it and I've learned so much over the past, really, two years. I've really gotten into it in the, in the past six months, especially. But what's it been like for you to uh, kind of delve into a different world and kind of see things from a different perspective? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I'm just happy we're honest about it now. You know, like before, I was like, exactly. well, you know, uh, there's some people in, exactly. in Vegas that might be really concerned about that field goal. And, <laughs> right. You know, you couldn't say anything. Significant and, to some. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. So I'm, I'm happy that we're past that let's not pretend phase anymore because the only reason you have two injury reports a week is to set the limit. I mean, that's the whole point. And by the way, that's a good thing because right. if you if you withheld that information and some insiders or betters were the only ones who knew about a certain injury, uh, they would have inside information that could sway the line one way or the other. And so to me, that's why the, the injury report has always been appropriate because you want to make sure we're fully transparent here with what's going on. Um, so I'm happy about that part of it. We can talk about it. Like when I used to do NFL Live, there were certain things we couldn't say, like, uh, you know, we would do projected win totals for the season. We couldn't say over under because that's a betting right. line. We would have right. to say more than or less than. <laughs> right. And right. we couldn't we couldn't use the team names. We would say New Orleans, or we would say Atlanta. Really, I didn't know. We, that. Yeah, we would say Tampa. You couldn't say the Bucks or the Falcons or the Saints. So I'm I'm glad we're through the transparency window now because that thing makes everything easier, cleaner, and more efficient. But for me, like you, I'm not a betting sharp. I don't set the odds. That's not what I do. Uh, they want me to be the why guy. Like, why is the line of Rams minus four and a half? Because they have not only Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr., but they have on their defensive front Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and Leonard Floyd. They have Jalen Ramsey on the backside. They have more veteran talent uh, than, than the Cincinnati Bengals, you know? So that, that's been the fun part for me. And a lot of the guys that I work with, the people that I work with at Caesars are all former ESPN employees. So to me, I'm working with the same people that I used to work with, doing the same things that I did uh, for a long time, just doing it at a, at a different place. And that's been a lot of fun. Do you miss the daily TV grind? Uh, not at all. Not no? even remotely. Not even really? a little bit. 
No, no. The best part about this for me has been understanding, like you get a whole different perspective of the media machine when you're sort of peripherally in it as opposed to turning out content. Look at the end of the day. You, you're you're providing content, right? And every day from four to five on NFL Live, you got to provide content. Every day for three hours on Get Up, you got to provide content. Sometimes that content is interesting and meaningless, and sometimes it's content. Uh, what I enjoy about what I do now, whether it's working for Caesars or the PGA Tour or writing for Facebook or working with the Pro Football Network folks or some other deals where you're about to come up that I can't really talk about yet, I get to do a podcast, Half Forgotten History, which I, I've had a lot of fun with. And we just uh, dropped an episode last week with all the kickers and the pressure, including Robbie Gould was a part of that. We're dropping a new episode uh, on Thursday, which will be fun. Um, I get to talk about the things I want to talk about with the people I want to talk about it when I want to talk about it instead of on somebody else's schedule. And that's been the funnest part of this for me. Well, we definitely miss you uh, on a daily, watching you on a daily basis. You were outstanding especially with nfl live it, it it was a great show um thanks that was the most fun i've ever had at, at my entire life at espn that in the draft uh you know it's not a knock on anything else i ever did but for me that was the perfect job well i know you got a good one now and you're working for a very good company that we are certainly appreciative of the partnership that we have at bet.nola.com with caesar's sportsbook and trey i couldn't thank you enough for being a part of our show our little show here in new orleans Happy to do it, and uh, we're very excited about the Caesar Sportsbook app being live in uh, in New Orleans, and uh, we will talk again very soon, I'm sure. Real quick, tell us how to find your podcast, because I found what you were talking about interesting and something I want to look for. Sure, absolutely. It's called Half Forgotten History. You can get it wherever you get your spot podcast, Apple, Spotify. We also have my YouTube page called Trey Wingo Presents. And that's where the, the video version of it is, or the vlog, I guess it is. Uh, everything I do from Caesars is on there, the Trey's Trend stuff. I also work with Mark Schlereth. We break down every a game every week called the Chop Shop. So uh, the podcast name is Half Forgotten History. Uh, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts or go to my YouTube page and subscribe there, Trey Wingo Presents. Just a, a, a one-word answer, Cincinnati or the Rams? I've, I've, I'm sort of in the process of this, but the more I think about it, and I, I can't give you a one-word answer. I'm sorry. I know. The, I more, know. the more I think about it, I, 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 I really believe there's a possibility that this Bengals team could end up being like the Cowboys team that took down the Bills in that first Super Bowl. They don't know any better, and sometimes that is a powerful, powerful weapon. You just made a lot of LSU fans happy. Trey Wingo, thank you, you for go. joining Dattitude. We'll talk to you soon. You got it, man. Take care. Trey Wingo, great to have him on. Uh, part of a great show today. Um, he's got so much going on. I say that about a lot of my guests, and they do. And I, I, I can't be thankful enough to the great guests that we've had so far in this early run. Again, uh, just starting this up in September, and uh, it's going better than I could have ever hoped for so far, but it's because of people like Trey Wingo and Jeff Duncan and Stan Verrett and Mike Triplett, and I go on and on and on, um, just outstanding guests with great things to say. Uh, obviously, uh, some insight on Dennis Allen and Alvin Kamara and uh, what's going on at the Super Bowl, and uh, speaking of the Super Bowl, I don't want you to stop this podcast yet. I... I 
especially for my regular listeners. This next segment to me um, is, you know, I, I never knew the name Adam Chernoff before a few weeks ago. And um, we kind of stumbled across him. You know, we get a lot of, one thing that happens here when you get into a position like this, I guess, is people reach out to you and they want you to, you know, they find out you have a podcast and, you know, I guess we're become significant enough to people want to, they want you to put their people on, right? And I, and I get a bunch of these things and I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know. I use covers.com. That's great and all that stuff, but um, I don't know. And then uh, Zach Ewing put him on uh, the Bayou Bet show a couple weeks ago. And it was outstanding. What an out! I mean, the focus and the insight again. As we kind of shift, uh, a lot of us. It, one thing that's great about betting is, and if you do it responsibly and you do it right, you do it to have fun, and it helps you enjoy a game. I guess a little bit more. You put twenty dollars on a game, and to me, I don't care if you put twenty dollars on it. If you have a lot of money, and you put five hundred on it or whatever. <laughs> Excuse me. I. I to me, when I have $20 on a game over 100 I have $100 on a game, and I don't have a lot of money. So if I put $100 on a game, it's a lot. Um, but, you know, for the Super Bowl, we, we tend to bet a little bit more and do a little bit, few different things. But I want to enjoy it more. It helps me enjoy it more. And I take the $20 bet as seriously as I take the $100 bet. It's like it gives me more rooting interest. It's more ways to get involved in a game. It's the same as fantasy football or fantasy baseball or whatever. Uh, when you do the March Madness pool, you find yourself rooting for a North Texas. Why? Because I picked that upset. You're invested in it. And so I think that's why I think is betting is, is wonderful. I think it's a great thing. Um, and the fact that uh, states are now realizing that of course, they're doing it because they realize they can make money off of it. But the fact that it's becoming an acceptable part of society now and we realize that it's going to happen one way or another and you might as well make money off of it um, and making it legal is a wonderful thing for a lot of people. Again, please do it responsibly. I beg of you. Uh, as someone who many, many, many years ago maybe didn't bet responsibly uh, and learned a hard and tough lesson, um, I, it took me a long time to get to a point to where I could bet responsibly. And I do. I don't bet more than I can afford to lose. And that's the way you have to look at it. But I do enjoy the heck out of it. And I would imagine most of you listening, uh, especially if you are a regular to bet.nolol.com, are enjoying it as well. But that leads me to, that's a long-winded intro to Adam Chernoff of Covers.com, who has great insight on how to... Bet different things. There's so many things you could bet in the Super Bowl. I went through the props last night. I spent an hour, an, uh, an, an entire hour going through prop bets. And I probably might bet a couple more. Um, just things that I like. But Adam has just this wonderful perspective of how to go through them and how to figure out how to bet certain things. And even if you're just betting the line or the spread or whatever. Just fantastic insight. So I ask you to give him a chance. If you, you don't know the name, Adam Chernoff, but I'm telling you, you will appreciate this next segment.
Welcoming into the Datitude podcast on a Tuesday morning, Adam Chernoff of Covers.com. Um, and Adam, welcome to the show. Um, how are things going out where you are? And you're in Canada, am I correct? In Canada, five days left to go. We're counting down today's Super Bowl. It's been a long season, a good one, but um, the extra week or two added into the season has just stretched things out a little bit longer than I'm used to over the last decade and a half. I thought you were going to tell me you were counting down to the end of winter. I'm doing that too. And they sort of, they go together a little bit, but, um, it's, uh, I'm ready for a couple of weeks off after about 23 weeks in a row at it. So I hear you well, uh, always welcome the end of the year. We've been stuck in the forties for a few weeks. So I'm sure that would probably be welcome where you are, where we are. That's really cold. I would, I would take half of that. Okay. There we go. Um, Adam, I want to get into obviously your expertise is betting and, and how to bet. And I, I want to spend most of our time together talking about that. But I do want to get your thoughts on obviously the big news here in New Orleans is Dennis Allen being hired, the Saints head coach. And how, how in your mind do you think that changes the view of where the Saints are? And obviously 15, 16 years of Sean Payton and now traveling into new territory with no Drew Brees, no Sean Payton. As, as a guy who goes through betting numbers and crunches numbers for a living, uh, how do you view this? Well, hopefully it goes better for him with the Saints than it did for him with the Raiders. Uh, that was pretty pretty rough when we go back. What was that, about nine or ten years now? Right. I'm generally concerned, I would say. And there's kind of like the two-way debate where you can say that the Saints were where they were this year with the chance to sneak into the playoffs really because of their defense, which obviously was all Dennis Allen. But on the other hand, this is a league that is clearly going in an offensive direction. And a lot of the teams that have found success with young coaching hires or new coaching hires in the case of where Dennis Allen sort of ranks experience wise, they've all been offensive based or from an offensive background. And you're just not seeing a lot of defensive minded head coaches in general over the league have a ton of success. And so there were a couple other hires in the league that were young offensive coordinators, offensive assistants that I think have a lot more optimism than what we might see with the saints. And it would probably be a different discussion if the saints had uh, a lot of stability at quarterback, but you add in the fact that now you have a defensive minded head coach, you don't have any stability at the quarterback position and you don't really have any skill players out, outside of the backfield that really provide much value to this roster overall. So they're going to have to come up with answers quick. Maybe he's the guy to do it, but I'm a little bit worried. And you have a potential star running back who we now all of a sudden don't know what his near future is going to be. Yeah. I'm not sure what comes from that, but um, it's a lot of uncertainty on the offensive side of the ball for the saints this off season. What does that do when you start looking at, obviously, um, a lot of people start like to look at win totals early for next season already. And, um, you know, if I had to make a prediction, and I haven't seen early totals, I've seen a couple of them, but I would imagine the Saints are going to be in the ballpark of the eight, eight and a half now uh, going with their future. And, and you know, instability could be a time for profit. There, I think you're, it's probably a pretty good number. I would say that the one thing where the Saints kind of catch a break within all of this is there's the potential – for Matt Ryan to leave the Falcons. We know Tom Brady is gone from the Buccaneers. The Panthers are a complete disaster and a, a pretty good example of 
giving a, a defensive-minded head coach the reins and the, what whatever they did with Joe Brady was just shocking. But so now it's like there's a chance that all of the other three teams within the South have instability of their own, and so it's potentially a little bit of a break for the Saints in that regard. But I think that number right in like the eight win range is probably we're going to see in about two weeks time once the Super Bowl finishes and we really see those numbers across the market. Speaking of the Super Bowl, obviously, you know, this week, I don't know how, what it's like for you, but it's almost anticlimactic for me. I mean, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I love going through all the, the different bets you can make for the Super Bowl. It's unlike any other game in, in any sport anywhere. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know if it, maybe it's a little bit of depression setting in or, you know, we go through this grind of, of 22 weeks and here we are, this is the end of it. And sometimes I find it almost hard to focus when you're trying to figure out what the heck you're going to bet this week. It, it's been extra hard, I think, for me this year because in many ways the season for me ended after Championship Sunday because as the games played out, like I knew there was going to be a lot of interesting props in any game we would have got with the chiefs um, because of just how many skill players they have, how wide open their playbook gets, how many people get involved on offense. It was going to be a lot of potential. And then on the other hand, when they lose, I'm like, okay, the Niners, if they end up matching up against Cincinnati, we're probably going to see a point spread less than three. And that for me is going to be a bet on San Francisco that I'm going to love. And I rarely get, an opportunity to like really have a big bet on a Super Bowl, and I would have just loved the Niners, and they blow the 10-point lead late. And so for me, it's hard to focus because everything that I was hoping lined up for the Super Bowl from a potential betting perspective didn't, and the two teams that I just have no interest in betting side or total end up matching up, and just the way that they're constructed, there's not a ton of player prop value like we would have got with the other teams. So it's kind of disappointing overall. Um, you know, a friend of mine who comes on this show regularly gets uh, a little perturbed when I keep bringing this up, but I'm bringing it up again. So I told, I think I told you this uh, a couple of weeks ago when you were on our show on bet.noah.com, but I got lucky. I mean, I'm just going to flat out say I got lucky. I got the two futures that I wanted. Um, so I win no matter what happens this weekend, but it, still that being said, as a better looking forward should I still bet on this game if I have, you know, basically no rooting interest and I already have a, a guaranteed ticket going forward? Should I look to put money on a spread, a money line, or a total? If you have both futures, you're not going to benefit much from taking a side or a total, especially now that we are Tuesday, the week of the game. If we were talking last Sunday night, last Monday morning, when you have 13 days out, the market's just opening, you had some potential. And as we saw, like this was a game that at some places opened three and a half and the total was in the low fifties, 15 and a half. And so there, there was potential there on the Rams or the under to get ahead of some of the market moves. But now we're really sort of settled into place. The one caveat to that is, is something that, maybe listeners will find interesting is every single year, almost without doubt the day of the game. So on Super Bowl Sunday, about an hour and a half before kickoff is actually when you're likely to get the most value. If you're looking to bet the favorite on the money line specifically, because there's so many people betting the Super Bowl this year, it'll break records. If you like the Bengals, 
you're taking the money line. If you like the Rams, you're laying the points because you think they're going to win by a margin. If you like the Bengals, you think they're going to win outright. And that's just how batters tend to bet it. And so you actually see the, the money line compress a little bit and you can find some value on the favorite. If you're in your situation, you probably don't need to add on or take any more risk. But at this point, from the side or the total perspective, the only way that you can really think about making a bet uh, is that money line very late on the Rams. You say that uh, you were ready for 49, even, you know, KC loses fine. 49ers win great that, that you love that money, that, that spread. You think it's going to be around three, maybe even two and a half. Why don't you love it as much with the Rams in there? And I know that obviously two and a half, I mean, four and a half is a big, is a big difference to two and a half or three when you're talking about uh, betting and, and games and Super Bowls, especially we've had a lot of close ones in the past 20 years or so. Why don't you love the Rams as much at four and a half as you love the 49ers at say three? It's just, like you said, it's just price. Um, I bet the 49ers against the Rams because I thought three and a half was too high because I made those two teams closer in my rankings than the market and the point spread was suggesting. And so that game I had, I had the difference between the two teams with it being played in LA at about two and a half points. And so I can't get to the number that the Rams are currently at, despite me still making them a considerable favorite against the Bengals. Um, so it's just the market is adjusted for what the Rams are and the difference between the two teams. Whereas with the Niners, we would have got a really favorable price as I would have made that game right at three and a half. So we're kind of right in line with where I would expect this game to be. And there's just no value from the price side. You look at the spread this morning is the same as it's been for about the last six days. And it's minus four and a half Rams at, at most Vegas is about minus one ten pretty much across the board. Uh, means you got to lay one hundred and ten dollars to win a hundred. Uh, the total is forty eight and a half, uh, which again is down from where it was when it first came out, but it's pretty much stabilized. And then you talk about the money line, and right now Rams minus two hundred. You talk about how you can get value on game day. You think maybe it goes down to as low as one eighty. If we're at four and a half, the money line that that point spread would suggest is right at minus one ninety. And so right now it's a little bit inflated because we're still early, but if you're able to get better than that, then there would certainly be value if we're still looking at this point spread at four and a half. Let's talk about props a little bit. One thing for a lot of semi-amateur betters like me, okay? Um, We have our own, I mean, I know you like to go through power ratings and you talk about value and we've been stressing that on this show and on Bayou Bets. That if you see, you know, if you if you think a spread should be three, if it goes to three and a half for you, that little half a point makes a huge difference. For somebody like you, you might jump all over that, just that half a point, especially at a number like that. How do you go through player props? Because obviously that's where most betters, good betters anyway, are going to make their money this weekend because uh, they're going to have 10 or 12 prop bets. How do you go through and value those? Because you don't have an Excel spreadsheet for power ratings on those sorts of things? Well, you can, uh, but I'll give something that's a lot easier to do uh, for everybody listening. So in, in Louisiana, how many sports books are now up and running? What's uh, the, we're north of five or six, are we not? Yeah, I think I'm thinking it's eight or 10. I'm not 100% okay. sure, but it's, it's plenty. So, so it's important to remember for 
and, and I lose track with the counts every day. We have like state trackers and I've just, I've given right. up. It's just new ones open every day. Right. If you're a better in the state right now, it is free to open an account with every single sports book that is offering business. And there's no reason that even if you're betting $5 a game, $10 a game, whatever amount it might be, download the app, open an account, especially leading up to the Super Bowl. And you don't necessarily need to do any in-depth research, any, any in-depth modeling, forget all that. Look at all the different apps and you will find a massive difference in the prices that are being offered for every player prop, for every game prop, for every specialty prop. Every book is going to have some sort of different pricing on each of these props. And you just you have to put yourself in a spot where you can compare all of them and just play off of the differences. And so, for example, you may look at other states at a book like Circa Sports, which is available in Colorado. You may look at a place like FanDuel, which both of them cater to, in general, a sharper or more experienced customer. And just find books that have prices that are different from those on a bet that you might like and find the best price possible and bet it. And, and that's why people like props so much who are professionals and they have so much success with them because it's very difficult for a lot of these props to have like a true price discovered behind them. And so really a lot of books are willing to move them a lot more than they would with a side or a total, which just have so much more attention and so much more money going into those markets. So just get as many apps as you can compare all of the prices, find the best one. And if you really need something to guide you, just look at those more, we'll call them sharper sports books and you can just play off of them. It's, it's usually, especially this week, as simple as that. Adam Chernoff of Covers.com here on the Datitude podcast. Adam, uh, and one thing you talk about getting value, and I think, you know, going across these sports books, one thing you're saying is like a particular prop that some people might like. Uh, if you're talking about player props, and the first name I think of when I'm doing player props is Cooper Cup this weekend. And his number's all over the board. I've seen uh, uh, receiving yards over 102.5 all the way up to 107.5. So you're saying shop these books. And if you write down the ones you like, and you're going to find a different price, if you go through six different ones, you can get a really good price at one of those six. It doesn't matter which one it is. That's exactly it. And so, like you said, there's about a five-yard difference in what he is posted to that. And that gap is only going to increase the closer we get to kickoff on Sunday. So the number is, is absolutely going to go up. And we may see something as high as 108, 110, maybe even a touch higher because everybody's going to want to bet an over on Cooper Cup because they see what his number is. The natural thing is to look back at his game log on ESPN or whatever site, see how many times he's exceeded that. And people are just going to run and bet the over. And so I would say that we're going to find a big difference with shopping. But at this point with how that's going, it really tough to justify a bet on the over people are going to love hearing that. But if you just wait until Sunday and see how high this gets, there's absolutely going to be value betting his under on receiving yards and total receptions. But again, you're going to see just a huge difference between books uh, in, in terms of pricing. And Adam, in the grand scheme of things, if you like any unders, I mean, typically, 
you talk about amateur bettors and they like to bet over everything. I mean, and just in my general opinion, they, they like, it's no fun to bet an under. I mean, you're like sitting there hoping it doesn't go over a certain number and you're like praying and you got to sweat it out. I mean, if you, if you bet an over, you might hit it in the, in the early third quarter and you're like, hooray, I hit that already. So, I mean, there, you talk about value on unders. You can get a ton of value, I think, on unders if you wait until Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, 100%. Um, especially when it comes to the player props and the skill position players. You're going to see these numbers get just blasted up across the board. And there's, there's always, with these player props, for the most part, value on the under close to game time. And it's, it, it, like you said, it, everyone wants to bet on something to happen. And it's the Super Bowl. Everybody's watching it's really tough to sit there with a Cooper cup under ticket, knowing that he's the best player on the field and just hope for him not to get catches when anyone else you're watching with is probably rooting against you. So it's um, like you said, it's not the most enjoyable route to go, but in terms of just making good bets, if you're not doing any intense modeling or projections or anything like that, you are much better off just betting unders on bigger players closer to game time. Okay, how do you approach this week? Now, I guess it's harder when you don't love a side. Okay, when you love a side, I guess your player props kind of go along with those things. You know, if you if you love the Rams, then you're going to look at the Rams and say, okay, what do the Rams do best? Well, they rush the quarterback. The The Cincinnati offensive line is terrible. Maybe we like m- m- more sacks. You know, the, the over-under on Rams sacks right now is three, which I happen to love. Um but is the, how do you approach this week, especially if you don't particularly love a side and, and finding the player props that you like? So, so far I've bet uh, eight different props that I would say are sort of like publicly available. I have a handful more that were just kind of shopping around, but um, I have eight of those. And those are, for the most part, on things to happen. So, like, for example, I have Johnny Hecker, longest punt over 51 and a half yards, something that I think is going to happen because I think that's going to go up. I have total sacks over five and a half, something I think is going to happen that's got going to get fed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I have a lot of those that went in, but I'm really waiting because I'll probably have 10 to 15 unders that I'll be betting on Sunday on skill position players or things not to happen. Um, and the rest of what I've bet so far to give it like a really good example of what I was saying earlier, where you can just shop around. So like a really good guide for this is circus sports because they have the sharpest clientele base, but they also have the highest limits on props. So they're really good at, at finding out what the true price of something is. And so they had a prop that was no, f- or, or any kicker, to make a field goal 55 yards or more, which would be a Super Bowl record. And they had the no to that. So no kicker to make a field goal 55 wow, yards or more. At my, they have the price at minus 490. So like Is a it? huge favorite that it's not going to happen. But here in Canada, there was a sports book offering the no at minus 270. And so people well, may be listening that. and say, well, they, people might be listening and say, well, I don't want to bet $270 to win $100. But the point is that just by shopping, I'm, I took minus 270 on something that there's a sports book 
much sharper than the one that I'm betting into with this bad price. It's saying that the true price is actually minus 485. That's an enormous difference. And so a lot of my betting has just been finding things like that, going through and just putting those in, regardless of team, regardless of over or under or anything, just finding those difference in prices. And I'm pretty happy with where I'm sitting with a lot of them. Um, that sounds like free money to me, but, uh, you know, good for you. If, she, if I could play, if I was in Colorado, I'd bet back the other way and I'm guaranteed a profit either side. That's so right. it's, it can absolutely be free money. Um, yeah. And that's another point that, that betters don't realize you can find ways to make it. So you are guaranteed money. I mean, if, you know, if, if and I think on game day, you know, you talk about things moving, I think you could find I think there's going to be a time when you can probably find a spread at four and a half, and you might even be able to find a three and a half somewhere if you're looking hard enough and long enough. You certainly could find maybe money line prices that differ enough. Yeah, What I would say for that, anyone going that direction, is just be cautious of not doing it at the same sports book. Um, so, like, right. for example, I, I was something that a lot of people that I know who are on the professional side are doing is they're trying to get Cooper Cup over at the lowest possible number. So there's a 102 and a half. So they'll play the over at 102 and a half. And they'll bet it for a significant amount, as much as they can. And then they're waiting for Sunday at about 4 p.m., hoping that there's like a 111 or a 112. And then they're going to play the under at another sports book on Cooper Cup at 112. And so... Now they've effectively set up a middle where if he falls somewhere close to the number that it's been all week between 102 and 112, they win both bets, but the risk is negated to only the juice that they're paying on those bets. So it's, it's something that you can definitely do with a lot of the different props. Just if you're going to look at that and you're going to be doing price shopping and playing one side and the other, just be sure to do it at different sports books. Cause if you do it at the same you tend to get limited and they'll reduce the amount that you can bet because sports books don't tend to welcome that kind of action. Before I get a couple uh, picks that from you that you're willing to share publicly, tell people how they can go. If they, if they're interested in someone that does this for a living uh, is successful at it and spends a ton of time, that's what you do for a living. How can people go and find your picks? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter really is the main place at Adam Chernoff. Um, I'm fairly irrelevant between mid February and early July <laughs> with no football. Um, but it, I am going to be having a lot of draft prop coverage. Those are going to be more popular this year than any year prior. And so with a lot of new sports books now up in the state, people who are listening may get some value covering, uh, the draft with a lot of the prop bets that are available. Adam Chernoff, covers.com. Before we let you go, uh, give us a, a couple things that you really like, whether it be a prop, what you, you already told us you, you're not, a, you don't love the lines um, spread under uh, over. Just tell us a couple things that you really like. Sure. So I'll give a couple. So Cam Akers to win Super Bowl MVP 35 okay. to one. Um, I like that one mainly because I'd like acres over his rushing total, which is in the low sixties. So I think he gets over that. Um, and there's some alternates on acres overs that I've played too. So I think it has a potentially a big game for him. McVay's very much a one running back guy. 
And Akers, even with the injury that suffered that took him out of the game against San Francisco, which he's now fine um, coming off of, it's through, since he returned in week 18, he's got a ton of carries. But the problem is that they've played consistently top five rush defenses. San Francisco twice. They were second against the rush. Tampa Bay, they were first. There was another game the week prior, week 17, that was against um, the Saints, which was a really good... Like It's just continuously, the Rams' run game has just been faced with really tough run defenses. Now they take a huge step back. The Bengals 24th defending the run. So it's their easiest opponent since the middle of the season. And so I think the Rams' running game and their effectiveness is suppressed a little bit, and everyone's focusing on Cup and OBJ, two guys that I'm going to have under t- tickets on. I think Akers is getting a little bit ignored. Like there's Von Miller and Aaron Donald are like 10 to one. And yet the starting running back who p- could potentially score twice as 35 to one. Or, so a really big number there on Akers, I thought. Um, a couple more I'll give you. Johnny Hacker, longest punt over 51 and a half yards. And why really do you like, like that? that one? Uh, indoors. Okay. It's an environment that he's familiar with. He obviously knows the stadium playing at home. Um, I think he's probably going to see four punts in the game. And just at the rate that he averages punts over 50 yards, um, you're getting a pretty good price here at minus 110. It should be closer to minus 150. So that's uh, another one that I really like amid a handful of others. Interesting. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to tell you one I like, and you touched on it, I think, and it's the one I like the most. And um, so, I, I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit. But to me, sacks in the game, and I got it at, last night at Caesars at uh, over five. Let's see what price did I pay. I paid um, minus, minus 130, uh, which, okay. seems, which seems a little high. But to, to get that, that, extra, that extra hook off of there, uh, to me, I'd like to see what you think. But the, the fact that the Bengals were sacked, Burrow was sacked nine times against the Titans. I think the Rams play kind of a similar defense, but with a better front line than what the Titans have. I'm not saying that Burrow's going to get sacked nine times, but I think the Rams could get four or five sacks by themselves. And I think that five, to me, is almost better than the Rams at three sacks by themselves because, obviously, the Bengals like to have pretty good DNs themselves, especially with Trey Henderson, a former Saint. Right. So you nailed it. Rams, they were number one in pass rush win rate. The Bengals offensive line 31st in pass block win rate during the regular season in the playoffs leading up to the Super Bowl. So just a massive mismatch. Um, I am with you. I think the Rams get a lot of pressure. They can definitely generate some sacks because Burrow just have, he takes so many of them is really the big issue behind this offensive line. Um, but I'm, I, the reason I like the over with you is actually, I think the other side is getting undervalued a little bit. Like you mentioned, Hendrickson, one of the best individuals when it comes to sack performance, but Hubbard himself yes. was right up there with him. Yep. And throughout the postseason, they've looked really, really good at getting off the D-line and, and generating pressure and generating sacks of their own. So I think it goes both ways, despite really the Rams D-line getting a lot of the talk. So it, I would even go a step further. I played over five and a half at plus 105. Some books have alternate sack totals. If you can find like seven and a half around plus 190, mm-hmm. that's an interesting number to look at as well. You're essentially looking at a sack a quarter uh, per team. So 
I, I think that there's there's potential for the sack total to get up pretty high in this game. Adam Chernoff, I appreciate you joining us. What is a, a very early Tuesday morning for you? Um, not as early here in New Orleans, but very early where you are. And I know you're looking forward to vacation, but enjoy the game first, my friend. Absolutely. All mornings are early during the season. So we've got <laughs> a few more and then we're all done. Enjoy the game as well. All right. Well, maybe we'll talk to you before the draft and, and get your thoughts on some of those draft props because it's something we'll be interested in. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. See, I told you it'd be a great segment. If you're still listening, you made it all the way through. So you found him as interesting as I did. Adam Chernoff, Covers.com. Man, I told you it was going to be tough to pack everything into 90 minutes, and we missed. We missed by, by a few minutes here by the time I hit this end button. But if you made it all the way through and, and, and enjoyed it, to me, this, was, this is one of my favorite shows that we've done of the 54. Um, not just because of who we had on, but... Man, what a busy news cycle uh, that we're in right now in football. And soon, it's not going to be that way. Um, as we go through and get into the offseason, obviously, we'll shift focus towards draft um, and all sorts of other things. The, the Pels are about to make a big trade, it looks like. I don't think it's finalized as we speak. Um, Josh Hart headed to the Blazers. Uh, I'm sad to see Josh Hart go, if that is true. Uh, but the Pels are going to get a center in C.J. McCollum, who has a couple years left on his contract. That'll be a big get for the Pels. And you know what? I'm glad to see him making moves. They also get Larry Nance. Uh, we'll get into more of that. We'll probably talk more. We'll begin talking more about the Pels next week uh, after we wrap up the Super Bowl. Um, we are looking forward to Friday along with our usual suspects, uh, talking about what we're going to bet, and we will finalize everything by Friday. I'll have my NFL picks column, which is my Super Bowl picks column. I'll have a bunch of props in there for you. That will be coming out on Thursday morning. Um, Also, later on this afternoon, I am doing the Fantasy Roundup show with Spencer, the guru, Urquhart, talk about props. If you're interested in that, you can check that out on bet.nola.com. It is a busy Busy week, as one would expect for us here. Um, And again, thanks for sharing part of your time with us here on Datitude. And uh, we got plenty more. So come back on Friday, along with the great Mike Dettelier, who will be talking all about the Saints. And we'll be talking more about Dennis Allen. I would imagine we'll know more about Alvin Kamara's situation by then. Um, Hey, man. Got a lot to talk about. And we got to get it out there. So... Stick with us, and we will see you on Friday. Peace and love, my friends.